The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Woogie man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Uh, hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 403 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner here on the two-man power trip, the one and only JP, John Paz. And John, today on the show, continuing the hot streak, continuing this epic run post 400 
star after star after star, welcoming in for the first time on the two-man power trip today, the one and only Rob Van Dam, Mr. Monday Night, talking about his documentary Headstrong, a documentary that has uh, turned a lot of heads in the wrestling world, and this time RVD is taking a stop by the two-man power trip to give us the lowdown on the documentary and all the other amazing things going on in the high-flying world of Rob Van Dam, a guy who, uh, you know, when you think of the big names that can still go in the wrestling business, Rob Van Dam definitely at the top of the list and including his recent return to Impact Wrestling, a place where he was a former world champion and a cornerstone of that company until they ran out of money for a brief period of time. But still, Rob Van Dam, I think one of those guys that still has that name value that'll draw you to a wrestling program and obviously the history that he has in professional wrestling through ECW, through Mr. Monday Night, the WWF, into the WWE and all the things that he's done since kind of stepping away from the WWE uh, in the mid-2000s. I mean, what can we say? He's one of a kind, and now he's with us here today on the two-man power trip. Yes, one of the all-time greats. And like you said, we were on quite a roll lately. You go from Arne Anderson to Dustin Rhodes to Ray Mysterio Jr., now Rob Van Dam, plus the last couple feature episodes, pretty damn good as well, Tommy Dreamer, and then, of course, Shawn Michaels. So, Big name after big name, and obviously RVD, one of the biggest names you could possibly get. And, of course, a lot of this interview surrounded his documentary, Headstrong, which is just an unbelievable look behind the scenes at Rob Van Dam, at his personal life, and as he was getting into the role of the comedian. So he was going on a bit of a tour, seven-city tour, doing the uh, um, you know the, the, the whole comedy routine, really you know, getting in the swing of it. Getting into that kind of genre and that different role in his life or that, you know, that next step, the next phase in his life and in his career. But it kind of hits a bit of a stumble when he basically you find out that he had a concussion from a wrestling match that he had and he was told not to travel and different things like that. So the tour is kind of uh, hit with a big road bump, a big speed bump, if you will. and RVD is having some, you know, issues. I, you know, the only way I can kind of say it is maybe some CTE, maybe some post-concussion. He's just having some issues on this tour. So in the movie Headstrong, it not only does it kind of go into a, a different direction, it kind of veers off, but it really gets very personal. At times, it gets very emotional. And at times, it gets very, very real. I mean, it's just you get a real look at RVD, not just – you know, the whole effing show, not just Mr. Monday Night, not just Mr. PPV, not, not just one of a kind, but the real Rob Van Dam. You really get a, you know, a look at what was going on with his vision, uh, with what was going on in his head, what's going on with his memory. It's really cool stuff. And, and when you watch it, it's really just so in depth, you're almost surprised by it because you don't think a guy who's that big of a star and that big of a name in the wrestling business is going to let you kind of see into that and be so vulnerable and really kind of let the the fans see almost every part of his personal life even down to him at the doctor's office and them checking him for concussions it's crazy and you know obviously he had a very hard hitting style uh definitely all those flights off the top rope i mean you know it takes the smallest little thing to kind of uh jumble you know your head and and really have that kind of um 
you know, kind of impact, but the fact that he could still do it up to a certain point at a very high level and still contributing to the wrestling business now today, it's a testament to him. And, and looking outside, he, he's looking into doing the stand-up comedy. He's done acting. And he's really a, uh, you know, a triple threat. I, I hate to use the pun here, but he's a triple threat. And, and if you watched Impact recently, John, I mean, I'm sure you guys get into this in the interview, but, you know, the, when you could turn on Impact Wrestling and see Sabu and Rob Van Dam together, uh, knowing that they've had their issues in the past, they've had a great team, they've had a great uh, relationship, you know, even though he's having some concussion issues, he's having some uh, s- some challenges, it's still great to see that he can still turn it on and you get to see Rob Van Dam and Sabu here in 2019, if you can believe it, doing their thing. It's unbelievable that they're both able to do that because back in the day, I mean, they just absolutely killed themselves. Innovative moves, crazy bumps, you know, like you said, chair shots, just really, really getting the hell beat out of them. And ECW is one of those places like, man, these guys don't have a long shelf life. Well, guess what? Fast forward to 2019 and RVD and Sabu are still teaming, still wrestling at a very high level. And obviously you can see them on Impact Wrestling. And it, they're just two of those guys. They just still got it. And we do not only talk about his current run with Impact Wrestling. We also talk about him and Sabu's past, not only in ECW, but also training under the Sheik, because obviously Sabu is a nephew of the Sheik. Him kind of learning, not only from the Sheik, but him basically becoming the protege of Sabu, and Sabu being his mentor, and teaching him so many things in the wrestling business, not just working, but thinking, and and being different, and different things you could do, and how to step out of the box, and I kind of say, a little bit funny, a little tongue-in-cheek, like, thought Sabu didn't talk. How is he teaching you all this stuff? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and, and But, you know, he was saying that Sabu was such a good mentor to him, and you could see throughout the years, and obviously now today, and, and if you go back and you watch some ECW, you could just see they have unbelievable, undeniable chemistry, able to work versus each other, and team with each other so smoothly and so easily, and it just goes to show you these great athletes, these great wrestlers like an RVD, they really do uh, stand the test of time. And when you watch Headstrong, you'll see that these fans that see him just literally walking down the street, they'll do the Rob Van Dam. Like, he's still just absolutely beloved. And, and the fans just, they don't forget his contribution to wrestling. And that's kind of one of my favorite parts of the film is that you just see these random people basically just you know to fall in love with them when they see them, I'm like oh my god Rob Van Dam we just go crazy I just think it's pretty cool whenever you see a wrestler walk the street it's not like a, a normal celebrity these guys are just really really loved and it's not like paparazzi stuff they're like really like oh you know I love this match or you know this brought back great memories it's really really a cool thing when a fan away from wrestling kind of you know just in the streets or in the supermarket when they see their favorite wrestler I just thought that was a really cool part of the documentary you see these fans you know kind of coming up to rvd as he's walking to maybe the next comedy store or wherever he was going to a doctor's office wherever you see the fans just absolutely love rvd always have you know absolutely always have do we have to go back to 2001 when he was the breakout star of the uh, the wcw ecw alliance i mean they had to turn him into a baby face they probably should have put the world title on him earlier mm-hmm. yep. than then uh he ended up getting it and obviously you know he's one of those guys that suffered at the hands of uh you know the now uh, beloved uh figurehead of wwe uh, triple h rvd probably the prime example 
of a guy held down by Triple H at the peak of uh, the game's tyranny, uh, tyranny uh, in the uh, early 2000s. But, uh, you know, again, it's just so cool to have him on the show and uh, to get this interview out there. And obviously, Headstrong, we want everybody to check that out. But, John, before we get over to it, give us, uh, give us a highlight of uh, the Headstrong talk and uh, what we can kind of look forward to in checking out this documentary. I just love that we kind of talking about one thing about how does you know wrestling prepare you for stand up comedy it really does it makes them comfortable in front of the, you know in front of the fans in front of the crowds, but I like how it went off into a different direction and he's really an intelligent guy talking about different things and obviously when he talked about you know marijuana and CBD and stuff he was way ahead of the game saying that it does have health benefits and how it's not really for everybody and not everybody should be getting high from it and, and stupid shit like that. He's basically saying, you know, the health benefits of it and to really, you know, know yourself and study yourself and, and do stuff to make yourself healthier. And if marijuana and CBD are for you, then that's it. And I love how he kind of goes into this whole concussion talk and he knows uh, a real lot about concussions. I guess he was talking and you'll see in the movie as well with Chris Nowinski and really kind of brushing up on it. But something that really kind of stood out to me, which I really liked was his absolute honesty about the WB and their policies and Vince McMahon and concussions. He has no issues with anything. He said they were upfront about everything and that, you know, kind of alluding to maybe some of the wrestlers kind of not, maybe not lying, but maybe just uh, exaggerating a bit, or maybe they didn't really work for Vince, but, they're on that lawsuit, different things like that. I just found it was funny because he is so honest. He is so smart. But then, you know, it kind of goes back to he's so zen. You know, he's so cool. Like everything about it's like, hey, man, you know, if those guys believe that, that's fine. But uh, the way I saw it was that Vince was very honest with everybody. Uh, he was pretty genuine with everybody. And, and I just feel like that is just a real cool thing about RVD that there's really no bullshit with him. There's no need for it. He doesn't stand for it. He's just such a cool guy. Like I said, very Zen. He's just, uh, you know, very easy to talk to. Obviously this interview goes a, a pretty good chunk of time and he was just great. And I just really encourage everybody to definitely, definitely see headstrong documentary. It's just so easy. You go to iTunes. I just did it on Amazon. Boom. One click. Boom. There you go. Headstrong and you're watching it. So it's very, very easy to get. I encourage everybody to watch it because if you're a wrestling fan and if you're an RVD fan, you will absolutely love it because it is a real, real cool in-depth look at RVD. And it's not just kind of, a, oh, you know, uh, you know, kind of if you see some WWE documentaries, they'll go in-depth, but they really won't show the, the real side of the person. They'll almost show the gimmicky side. No, this goes into the real Rob Van Dam, and you see his personal life as well. So I can't recommend Headstrong enough. Hey, he's uh, cooler than the other side of the pillow. And when you're RVD, you know, everybody uh, put those thumbs up. Do it with us one more time here. RVD. So without any further ado, John, we're going to get it rolling into this interview and uh, learn a little bit about what's going on in the world of Rob Van Dam. So let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, and let's get it on over to Rob Van Dam. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. 
Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former ECW World TV and Tag Team Champion, a former WWE Grand Slam Champion, of course, a former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, he is one of a kind, he is RBD, Rob Van Dam. Former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, of course, also a former WWE Grand Slam Champion, ECW World TV and Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Mr. Pay-Per-View, Mr. Monday Night, the whole effing show, one of a kind, RVD. He is Rob Van Dam. Rob, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Cool, man. Thank you. Very glad to be here. You know, you have so many accolades and so many things going on in your career. Obviously, you know, one of the greatest. There's no doubt about that. But let's talk a little bit about what you got going on with Headstrong and this great documentary you had on. It was a lot more in-depth than I think a lot of people realize it. But tell us about Headstrong. Yeah, I appreciate you helping me get the uh, the word out. I'm no a problem. Movie. So as you saw, originally the movie was intended to be something different. It was going to be um, a film documenting this stand-up comedy tour I did seven days on the road 
thought bringing the camera would be uh, cool. I wanted to show people what my life's like, how people react to seeing me on the streets. Of course, um, you know, film uh, some of the comedy. But I showed up on day one with symptoms of a concussion that I got two, three days before the tour started. And at first, I thought the concussion symptoms would go away. Uh, they always, always, always did before. So I wasn't as concerned. I thought, you know, let's just go ahead forward with the do what we were going to do. But the symptoms stayed so long uh, that the documentary takes a major turn, becomes about something else. And, and then we have to, uh, we have to go into that. You know I mean? I'm, I'm getting my brain checked out with, with the camera. I'm, I'm talking to the, the viewers as I'm learning, they're learning with me. So I take them on the, the roller coaster with me to, to check, check out what's going on in my head. And of course, then, you know, got to add a little backstory, how I got to be here, where I'm at at this point in my life, which was starting in uh, 2016. Um, so the documentary covers a lot of what I've been going through over the last couple of years or since uh, the fans have seen me. And um, as you notice, it's going to be a, uh, a bit of a surprise. So, so I, I made the movie just the way that it happened with me. It starts out one way, it becomes uh, something completely different. It became something much, much bigger than originally anticipated. <laughs> and when I first started getting reviews for the movie, John, um, I couldn't have known people were going to love it that much. I knew I was proud of the way it turned out, but people really you know, were telling me that it helped them and that the movie was important. And I didn't know how serious to take that at first. But just in the last few weeks, I realized, like, this is something um, that I really need to, to get behind as far as concussion awareness. And what I've learned is that just by sharing my, my truth, just sharing my experiences, which is easy, easy. I don't even have to come up with anything. I just tell you what I've been through, through that, I'm discovering how much that helps people talking about um, some, some of my vulnerabilities. I guess people thought that I was a Superman watching the movie. They see that um, I have to go through life's obstacles and deal with that and try to, you know, not let that change me. Try to try to still be cool and, and move forward and keep my, my face on. And now people understand that. And so it's helped so many people that I'm putting a lot more energy into that. Um, since this, since this movie's uh, come out like three or four months ago, and, I, and I'll be promoting it probably forever, um, I've already had a couple of my friends uh, in the wrestling business take their lives. Um, it seems to be from depression caused from concussions. It's something that's a commonality that that's been studied for the last several years, but I'm, I'm in the middle of it where I don't want to go out that way. And now I got my brain checked out. There's no reason to think that, um, that, that, that I'm in danger. You know, my, my brain, my brain is, uh, is okay now, but sometimes the CTE can set in later and I've really pushed it as far as how much I've beat my brain up. So, uh, one of my major concerns is myself and then also my peers, you know, so, um, spreading, spreading, uh, awareness, seems to be key to keep the conversation going. Um, and on top of that, you know, there, there, there's studies where people are looking into um, neurological protecting um, components such as CBD. I'm on top of that and hopefully I'll have some, some news with that really soon. 
So um, the the movie Headstrong, uh, it, it it catches you up on everything that I've been through um, last couple of years. Uh, brings you up to date with me. You get to know me a lot more than you ever thought you would, because I think all documentaries need to do that about the person they're with. And I'm overly honest and genuine, maybe to a flaw. So I really share my my private life with you in this movie. That's what I wanted to do. And very, uh, very glad and proud for the way that it turned out. And now, after the fact, after it's been out for a while, I'm starting to think, wow, this, this could be a, a platform, you know, to possibly really help people. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of, especially you and like those ECW guys probably did take maybe a few too many chair shots in the head and kind of brushed those concussions off in the past and thought, ah, nothing of it always happened. Cause even Tommy dreamer in the movie states, Oh, you know, when I was younger, I would just say, Oh, you know, it happens and move on. But now as you're older and you're getting smarter and, and the technology is catching up and catching this stuff, that's very important, right? I mean, it's very important to kind of, not just say, oh, I'm too tough for this or, you know, that kind of aspect of it. Well, that's, that's, that's the changes that we need to make. And throughout my whole career, I had the other view. I thought, hey, I'm, you know, I'm showing how tough I am, showing, you know, what a chair shot I can take to my head and, uh, and I'll recover from it. And I knew, I knew like every night when Balls Mahoney was going to whack me with that chair, for instance, I knew every night my bell was going to get run, rung. It was going to be sometimes everything would look slow motion for a few seconds. Sometimes the sound would go out or sometimes it would just feel like I'm sleeping. There was all kinds of uh, different aspects to having your bell rung. But what I didn't realize at the time was that was my brain bouncing against my skull, knocking my senses loose. And that is a concussion. Um, there's minor concussions. And then there's major concussions. And uh, I've really only had one that I would consider a major concussion, maybe two, where I actually couldn't remember anything afterwards. Um, Maybe two in my life. Um, And one of them was before I got in the business in a street situation where I was – um, I used to, I used to get in fights cause I was stupid and, uh, <laughs> testing myself, I guess, but, huh, yep. um, highly outnumbered. I got knocked out one time and then could not remember for the life of me, you know, anything about what happened during that day. And, um, I, I've seen that happen so many times since then. Um, a lot of times with people that I'm wrestling against, I've caught them with kicks and afterwards I had to tell them over and over and over what happened because, uh, you know, there's there's different measurements of concussions. I'm learning everything I can now, and I will, and I will be continuing to. I'd like to be a go-to guy um, because I I am smart, and when I'm interested in something and do the research, you know, I uh, I can. It's easy to to retain the information and pick up a lot about it. But the main thing that I learned, John, from watching the, the movie, I mean, I put it together with with one other guy. Like we edited, it, you know together like frame by frame and um joe clark the uh movie um filmmaker and also um he filmed it and and like i said the two of us did everything uh ourselves on it and over and over and over and i really don't think i realized until watching the whole story back the main thing that i should be taking from it and i don't and a lot of people might miss this too but i got a concussion and afterwards, I did everything wrong. You, your brain needs to rest. You need to go somewhere dark, close your eyes, 
not stimulate your brain. I did the exact opposite. For some reason, I really felt like I needed to, to gas my engine. I felt like my brain was like sputtering out and I just needed to step on the accelerator and like roam, like, like rev it through and everything would be cleared out. So I tried everything to stimulate my brain, including going ahead with this uh, comedy tour, even though Chris Nowinski told me not to do it. He said that'd be hor- that would be, I wouldn't be able to do it is, is I think what I, what I listened to mostly. And that was a bit of a challenge for me. I should have listened more to the part where, where I shouldn't do it. Um, and I think, I'm up there on stage for an hour talking to the crowd with bright lights in my eyes. And I, I really believe because of these um, incorrect things to follow up with a concussion, I really think because of these things that I did, that's why my symptoms lasted so long. Yeah, that is such an interesting thing because you don't think about it. And I know you mentioned it and Tommy Dreamer mentioned it too. It's like an injury would, you know, would scab up, you, you know, you see it on your leg or whatever, and you would see it needed time to heal. You don't even think about the brain. It's like you shouldn't be doing normal things. You shouldn't be going above and beyond, like going on a tour and being in front of bright lights and, and memorizing material or, or, you know, thinking up stories. You really need to let the brain heal more. And immediately afterwards, like that night, after my wrestling match, I had double vision. Hmm. I could see fine out of either eye. When I opened them both, I saw double of everything, and that was that, that was what stuck with me. But when I got home from the match, was that same night, I tried to stimulate my brain. I, I tried to read. I tried to watch TV. I couldn't do anything, and it was making me flustered. I took an Adderall. You know, to try to uh, mm-hmm. that was supposed to you know uh, make you more aware, or get your your concentration going, and I thought that's what I need. And 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 like I said, um, after watching this movie and learning what I've learned by making it, um, I, I definitely I would recommend anybody that has any symptoms of just getting uh, getting their bell rung. People don't like the word concussion; they want to think that's really really serious. Like, there's different levels of concussions. I, I, I was talking to a wrestler the other day. No, I guess he interviewed me, and I was watching it on YouTube the other day. And he was saying, actually, it was Ryback. I was, somehow on YouTube, I saw the Ryback RVD interview, and I, and I watched a few minutes of it because um, I didn't realize there was any video, but he was actually in a studio talking to me while I was doing the interview, and I didn't realize because I was on the phone like this. So I watched it, and I heard Ryback talking about a match, where um, we were both talking about how hard I kicked him one time, and I knew, you know, we were both giving our own perspectives on that, but he said that he, like, blacked out a little bit, and then he said, like, he, he couldn't remember afterwards, and then he followed up afterwards saying, you know, the next day that, um, you know, he, he, he luckily he didn't have a concussion, so he was okay. No, that was a concussion, bro. Right. Yeah, people don't realize it, though. You know, the people are like, um... I don't think I've ever had one. I don't know. I can tell you, like, I did everything wrong. When I was in high school, I was such an idiot. To get attention, I would, I'd be one, I was one of those kids that would, like, run at the locker and do, like, a diving headbutt to it and try to, <laughs> try to smash the, the, the locker and try to bend it with my head. Wham! Just to watch everybody go, oh, my God, and tell me how crazy I was. Like, that was, that was so stupid. I, I probably, you know, might have rang my bell a few times back then. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting. 
obviously it goes from the comedy tour to a lot of the concussion talks. And, you know, obviously the filmmaker didn't, wasn't ready for it. Even us as the viewer, you know, you see it's called headstrong, but you're not sure kind of which direction was going in when you're at the end of the tour. Like how, how are you feeling once it's over? Are you completely, you know, your brain is hurting, your head's hurting. I know you were having vision problems. What happened all the way at the end of the tour? So at the end of the um, seven day tour, little did we know we were nowhere near being done with the movie. The, um, the um, concussion symptoms that I had, the double vision was, was still lasting. So now I got to follow up. I mean, I've done the whole tour saying, I'm sure I'll be fine tomorrow. I'm sure I'll be fine tomorrow. Now it's the end of the tour. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, when I get back home, I'll get my brain checked out. If I, if I'm fine, and I say this on the movie, if I'm fine, I can see where I won't get it checked out because I'll be fine. But right. it, seems like I, it seems like something I probably should do. So, so I do go and get checked out, and and that was an adventure on itself. And we got a lot of uh, a lot of this on film with me, and I ended up in uh, vision therapy, and you know I got um, the the CAT scans, and got a, a MRI. I had three different doctors read my MRI. Um, I I did a lot, and the symptoms kept hanging out. They lasted and they lasted. I had, and and the movie, you know, of course, kept changing a little bit. And I had to, I had to keep telling Joe that we were done because he was tired of editing it. But I kept, you know, like he had me a few times sign something that, that said that today this is the last day of editing. The movie is done. And then <laughs> like a week, a week or two later, I hit him up. I said, bro, bro, three changes. I got three notes. These three changes will make the whole energy of the movie flow so much better. We got to do it, dude. It's like, no, I'm like, Joe, I'll pay you. I will pay you to sit there in the time and I'll go over your shoulder and we just do it. And anyway, it was, it was frustrating for him, but I know that he's happy with the way that it turned out also. And, um, you know, um, a year later, I still had it. And we went, I went up to San Francisco to uh, talk with Chris Nowinski and we brought the camera. We're still filming this movie a year later. And that was really driving Joe nuts. He was saying he couldn't believe how long the documentary was taking, but we were recording my real life as it was happening. And, uh, and I've talked to a lot of documentary makers who, you know, say that that's not long at all. Sometimes, you know, they, they all take their organic path and sometimes, sometimes they take uh, way longer to film than you ever. Right. Yep. So, yeah, so I, I wasn't worried about it. I was worried about the quality. Like, I wanted this to be the best. It was representing me, and, and I'm all about energy. So, you know, watching it, it was like, um, it was all about, you know, the energy coming up and coming down, and it does that a lot. It's, it's very emotional, um, the movie, and, um, and I know it is. When people tell me that they cried at one or two spots, I know they did. Um, you know, I've watched it with other people, and when I watch it around other people, it's so open and honest that sometimes I get a little teary eyed like at the at the spots, you know, that like really drive through where I'm like really bearing my soul or Katie. My girlfriend Katie, like she she cries in there a little bit. That's one of the worst mm-hmm. parts. It's one of the hardest parts for me to see without you know, without maybe wiping my eye a little bit. Because it's so real. And um it's you know, I I'm 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 still me. You know, everyone was seeing me as I was going through this but they didn't know what I was going through. They see me afterwards. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the way everything turned out. I think we were filming it maybe a year and a half later um, after, after the, after the tour to, 
to tell you, you know, to answer your question about that. And um, even at the end of the movie, um, it's it's like at the point where things are, I'm on the right path. Everything is getting way better. Everything in my life, you know, is getting way better. Um, there is room for a sequel. I've had a lot of people tell me that they uh, that they want to see another one. And I really enjoyed uh, making it, but it's it's a lot of hard hard work. I would love to uh, make another one, especially if you help me get a million people to watch this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hell, yeah. Yeah, it really, I'm surprised at how much it helps people. Somebody at a bar the other day came up to me, you know, and he was shaking my hand. He was all smiles. And then he was like, I just want you to know I watched your documentary, man. It changed my life. And that's not something, you know, I mean, that's a pretty strong comment. So I was like, whoa, it changed your life? I said, thank you for watching my movie. You got to tell me, though, how did it change your life? And he goes, well, and he had to think about it. He goes, I, I just, I don't know, man, I like I, I wanted this. I wanted this job, you know. I was afraid to really go for it. I watched your movie, and after everything you've been through, man, if you can still go for it, I was like, screw it, man. I'm going for it, and I went for that job. And, uh, and I was just like, wow, man, that that really that really feels good in my heart to hear that that I helped somebody. Yeah, that is great. That is really cool. And I think what's just great a part about it is like you know, you're Rob Van Dam. You're somewhat of a superhero to a lot of the fans that watch you. They see you do all these crazy things, Van Daminator, Van Terminator. I mean, all these crazy moves, and they don't you know realize. Wait, this guy actually gets hurt. This guy actually you know has stuff happen to him. I thought he was in, invincible. You know, invincible. There's no vulnerability there. So I think that was a great thing to see. It's like wow, this guy is you know human like the rest of us. And when he takes a bad bump on the head, he's hurting. Yeah, I think. Um... To be honest, I think everyone's just a little bit behind me in that respect because um, I thought I was a superhero too. And um, I remember the first time I broke my ankle, I couldn't believe that I could get hurt. You know, when I had to draft the ECW title, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, not ind- I'm not indestructible. And the older I get, the more I'm realizing, you know, that all these, uh, all these things add up and that uh, I'm realizing that the more, more, the more human I am, but also the more, normal I am in, in certain perspectives. Like I can relate to, to normal people on levels they don't even realize. And uh, the longer I'm alive, the more I'm able to realize that. So the more I'm sharing about that. And it's crazy. A lot of the ECW guys, obviously you, you included, it's funny, like the, just the amount of brutality that you guys went through and, and, you know, the wars, like you said, just even an ankle injury kept you out of action. You were shocked. You know, you guys in ECW are obviously extreme, hardcore. You guys took a, a lot of pounding over the years. That was the art style too, and I and mm-hmm. I, I at this point, at this point right now today, I, I don't regret it. You know what I mean? I could see where, uh, I don't know. I don't think that I will regret it. Um, that was. I don't blame any wrestling promotions. Like I say in the movie, everything was up to me. That mm-hmm. was me me doing everything you know that I ever did so and I never told anybody I never told anybody when I was hurt so I couldn't say they made me work you know when when they knew that I was hurt or whatever because for me hurt meant something different and it still does than, than normal people I deal with pain every day and I think I I think I always have like sometimes people ask me how I feel I'm 48 how's my body feel and I'm like, well, I'm sore, but I honestly don't remember not being sore. Like in my 20s, my back hurt. I don't, I don't remember. Um, I'm sure it's, it's it's added up and not going away as much anymore. But I think that I was always dealing with pain. But for me, the word hurt meant you can't work. I think Sabu taught me that when he broke me into the business way back in '89, and he said, if you're hurt, you can't work. So don't be hurt. 
So, you know, that means, hey, if I'm limping and I can hide it, and if uh, my neck, you know, if I can barely turn my head because my neck hurts so bad, but I can hide it and go out there and have a match, to me, I wasn't hurt. So there was no reason to tell anybody. Now, now, you know, now, by the way, you know, uh, now we know about the concussion uh, um, studies. We know it can lead to long-term damage. And so there are, diff- there are changes. You know, WWE doesn't use chair shots to the head. Even when I first got into WWE, way back in 2001, Vince was telling me to put my hands up and I was being stubborn. Um, I could never blame that on him. It would be totally dishonest. Um, but now I say I don't regret it because, you know, I, I had a great career and I'm still wrestling, you know, and I still have value. The more I talk about retiring, the more my value seems to go up. And that's the reason I'm still putting the boots on. Um, and I'm with Impact Wrestling now. And uh, they respect uh, me doing whatever I want to as an artist. Sometimes those guys uh, hit each other. Still, uh, I see that, you know, it's like um, – it, they're they're controlling it to an extent, you know, but um, there there are changes made, you know. Like I used to have a concussion, like every single night when I was with ECW. Now I'm not resting nearly as often, but um, I think in the last two or three years I've probably gotten two or three concussions, and they both they both been like little things that rattle my brain. Where I'm like, oh no, did I just do it again? And then a few seconds later it shakes off, and I'm like, Whew. okay, good, it's just a, a normal one. By the way, something else that I learned in the movie, I've always heard from people, well, the more concussions you get, the more susceptible you are to get more. And I've never found that true myself. I've always thought that there was a good chance that wasn't true and that was just a myth. My doctor, Dr. Williams at Curl and Job in Los Angeles, seems to agree with me. So that's something that I learned too. Um, when he cleared me to wrestle, I still had the double vision, but he knew I could wrestle because I'd already done it a couple of times before he cleared me. And so he said, yeah, I think you can wrestle. Your symptoms are still getting better. And he said, if you get a concussion on your next match, it's on its own. It's not related to this uh, last concussion you had. It's on its own. So that told me that my instincts were right and that you're not more susceptible the more that you get. Um, I've always felt like each time I get a concussion, it was on its own. So I don't know if we can call that fact, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's what I was told and what I believe. So that's something uh, else that I learned besides, besides um, resting. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting tidbit. And another thing that you mentioned about Cebu, and I just wanted to bring it up because it is interesting how far back your friendship and obviously you training under the Sheik and him being the Sheik's nephew and him kind of training training you along. It is interesting to see you guys through the years go from basically 89 all the way, you know, obviously you feud and you team in ECW, you win the tag title, you guys have an epic feud. But then all the way even to today, you're still teaming with him at Impact Wrestling. It's an interesting relationship all these years. It really is, 30 years. And um, he's the only guy in the business that's like my real brother to me. You know, we're not blood, but, you know, he's he's known me since I was right out of high school. And, um, and because of that, he and I, Besides the fact we also get along really good, uh, but he and I have literally had each other's backs in the ring, in bars, on the street, all around the world, like over the last 30 years. So it's uh, really, really cool to have somebody like that. Yeah, that is awesome. And I love that you guys are still teaming, uh, even today, you know, against the Lucha Brothers, against the North. In, in Impact Wrestling, I just think that's awesome that you guys went through that crazy style of ECW, but can still wrestle and can still work and still put on an amazing show. I just love that. 
Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and um, Sabu's always impressing me. Like, he's still out there doing all the crazy stuff, chair, top rope, moonsault, <laughs> diving to the crowd, going through a table. And um, he, he's, he's always impressing me. I mean, I've always kept up uh, in, in shape, you know, pretty good. I always keep my, my stretch routine. And um, I think everybody knows that I'm able to still do all the moves that I've ever done. I just don't want to as much anymore. <laughs> and, right. With Sabu, he's still surprising me, you know, because I've been I've been around him when he was hurt and he got hip surgery a few years ago, and I helped him so much. And now he's wrestling like way better than he did a few years ago, and um, um, I'm always amazed at him. It is crazy, you know, to see just the bumps and and the beating you guys take throughout the years, but able to come back you know, and still be wrestling into your 40s and so and still be athletic and still be doing what you're doing. It is, you know, absolutely amazing. Thinking back to ECW, though, and all those feuds and all those great matches, you know, just, just some stick out more than others. And ECW, because obviously, you know, Sabu, and I always remember you beating Bam Bam Bigelow, you know, for whatever reason that really stuck out to me. I'm a Jersey guy, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow. I literally live in the same town as Barry Park, so it always stuck out to me. Like, wow, RVD beat Bam Bam Bigelow. I feel like that kind of puts you on the map, you know, even further there. Is there, you know, some ECW feuds that really stick out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Everyone talks about the Jerry Lynn RVD matches. Oh, yeah, of course. Yep. Those are put out in history as uh, standard changers. And, uh, and and that's even a term behind behind the curtain now, like in the dressing room, uh, when, wrestlers, uh, when wrestlers start out doing some really impressive uh, chain wrestling on the competitive level, they'll call it like RVD Jerry Lynn stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll say, yeah, we, we yep. want to start out doing like some RVD Jerry Lynn kind of stuff. And it's like, and it's, you know, I mean, we had a chemistry that you, you can't just duplicate. It just, it was just organic, you know, like we weren't even that good of friends when we started wrestling. Um, we just both brought out that competition in, in ourselves and each other. And so we had uh, great matches, you know, my, the Bam Bam Bigelow match, of course, that was just like you said, that made me a superstar that elevated me so much. I think it was 1998. And um, I, I really didn't understand. Like it was the next night after wrestling uh, Bam Bam, we were in Queens, New York. And I was talking to, to Paul, cause I was always trying to come up with new moves I'd never seen before. And I was, telling Paul in the daytime about some crazy move I had in mind. Like, Hey, I was wrestling Mikey Whipwreck. I said, Hey, I want to crotch him on this guardrail uh, on the entrance way, but then springboard from the other guardrail on the other side and go all the way across the walkway and kick him off, you know, and have Fonzie hold the chair on his face. What do you think? And Paul was like, I think it doesn't matter what you do tonight. These people are going to love you. (laughs) I didn't know what he meant. I was like, oh, that's weird, whatever. But he was right. Like, after that, I was a superstar on a different level, and I never went back. So, so true, and they absolutely loved you. Where do you come up with some of these moves? Because, obviously, they're innovative. They're unique. You've never seen it before. A little sprinkle of, you know, some karate and some kickboxing, obviously, involved, too. Like, how do you come up with some of these moves? I think outside the box, and, and I think that's really the only way that I can explain it. Um it's true pretty much with uh, every aspect of my life. I happen to be known for wrestling, but I've always uh, thought differently than everybody else. I've always um, studied people in a way that makes me feel like I'm um, not one of them. (laughs) And Hmm. uh, yeah, especially as an adult. Um, But, you know, when I was, 
when I was wanting to be a wrestler, when I was in school, high school still, and I knew I was going to attend professional wrestling uh, school afterwards, like my senior year, that's all I was doing was like making, making up moves that I hadn't seen before. Um, that's what caught my attention, by the way, as a fan. There was some wrestlers that, like nobody else was watching Leaping Lanny Poffo. He would lose every match. Everyone else was watching the guy that he was wrestling, but I would see him doing flying head scissors and some cartwheels when nobody else was doing it. And it made me think so far outside the box, you know, made me think like, wow, wrestling can be cool and exciting and creative. And so like before I ever had my very first match, I was already, um, I was already in the practicing in the ring. I was like, I wonder if I can jump up and do a split and land in the corner on the top rope, bounce off my thighs and I didn't know it was called a moonsault, but, you know, backflip onto my opponent. I was doing a split leg moonsault working on that before I ever had my first match. That's always been my approach to, to business and to life, pretty much. Man, some of those moves, it's just like, whoa, like, where the hell did that come from? And those crowds in ECW, man, everything you did, they ate it up. And I love the, you know, the Rob and the, the whole effing show, the pointing to yourself. Where did that come from? Where did you get that from? Um. <clears throat> It's it's funny, like I'm so OG, like I've started so many things that have carried on now from my outfits to painting the Money in the Bank briefcase to, um, you know, things you're mentioning. Um, I just, you know, Sabu told me when he was training me, don't try and uh, take someone else's spot. There's already one of those guys, you know, try and hmm. make, make it, try and be yourself and, and, and make your own spot. That's what he always taught me. And that was, you know, I was, I was brought in under the respect system where like Sabu is my mentor. So whatever he said was word didn't matter. You know, if, I, if, if he said it's blue and I knew it was purple, I'd say, all right, it's blue. <laughs> you know, that's the, way, <laughs> yep. that's the way I came yep. into ECW uh, in 96. He would say, Hey, those guys, those guys think they're really good, but they suck. Those guys over there, you know, they're no good. And I was like, all right, man, screw those guys. And that's, <laughs> that's how I felt. The hand gesture thing. I had no idea pointing my thumbs at myself was even creating a, uh, a mock or I don't know what the video games call it. Um, a, a gesture. I really, I was just doing that working the crowd. Um, Sabu in 96 was a huge baby face uh, in ECW when I came in. So I was the heel and they would cheer for Sabu, you know, Sabu, Sabu. And I would do something 360 leg drop, boom, land on him. And then I'd go, i put my ear to the crowd and say, what, what'd you say? Don't you mean this guy? And I'd point my thumbs and say, Rob Van Dam. Mm-hmm. And I, was just, I was just being arrogant, being a heel. I actually picked it up from watching Jean-Claude Van Dam in the movie Kickboxer. Um, he wants to fight Tung Po, the main heel, and he has to go through an uh, enhancement match first. And, uh, and he beats the shit out of the guy. And then he looks up at the promoter's, and he says, I want Tung Po. And he's making this like double bicep, but he's not not looking like he's really doing a double bicep. He's like he's like doing it, but he's trying to make it look like he's not posing, that he's just like uh he's just swinging his, his fist in the air because he's he's, you know, enraged. And so I got from that pointing my thumbs at myself, trying to show my biceps without making it look like I was doing a double bicep. But I had no idea until I was in Japan one time and the fans were doing it back at me. And I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's me. They associate the thumbs with me. How cool. I really didn't know. It was really organic. Just like everything else in my career. 
so cool, so innovative, so different. And I love the fact that as you're watching the movie and going through the movie, everyone that sees you on the street, even those guys, I forget where you were, but you're dressed, they were all dressed up as Spider-Man. They're all doing the Rob Van. It's just so funny that everywhere you go, they yell at you, but then they point, you know, point themselves doing the Rob Van Dam. I just love that. Isn't that cool? Like kind of like have all these, you know, thousands of people on the street. Hey, Rob Van Dam is doing a gesture. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool. And it's a funny question. People ask, do you ever get used to it? I am used to it. Yes. I've been used to it for years, you know, and I get that everywhere I go and it's like, it's here in the States, it's in England, Scotland, wherever. Like, um, I've been on TV for a long time and I've been walking the planet for a long time. I'm like a Highlander. I'm most, <laughs> that's how I feel because like people will tell me, um, Oh my God, like I used to watch you and now my, and, and I grew up watching you and now my kids are watching you growing up. Not to say that you're old. And it's like, dude, I'm very aware of, you know, I'm aware that nothing's insulting. I've been wrestling forever, and uh, that is what it feels like. It, like, generations have been watching me, and I get a lot of love everywhere I go. So that was something that I really wanted to show in the movie was just how people react to me when, when I go out. Every time I leave my house, um, it's a form of, um, of self-promotion because everyone's so excited and so happy to see me, every, you know, wherever I go. So... So that's really cool. I mean, it's not a thankless job, that's for sure. And um, that's, you know, that, I don't know. I, I don't know which means more that or the money. You got you to gotta have money. But, <laughs> but the love will last longer. I know that. Yeah, that it's so cool. And to be, you know, obviously as famous as popular are where these people are recognizing you in such a positive way and, you know, they're kind of doing the rubby dip thing. I just think that's, you know, so cool and just uh, so awesome. Yeah, innovative so many different things like you said it was a lot of organic thing it was a lot of just kind of listening to, to Sabu and it's funny you're saying he's talking to you a lot of people aren't very used to hearing that Sabu actually speaks and that he actually talks I mean he's a good communicator right I mean that usually get the oh he doesn't talk much kind of thing yeah that that used to be 100% his thing um the Sikh never talked never spoke English mm-hmm. I remember I remember um well, this was after we brought ECW back to WWE, so I guess this is uh, 2001-ish, and um, Vince McMahon brought Sabu in. He wanted him to do a promo, and Sabu was so against that he wanted to quit, and I was trying to talk him out of quitting, and he was like, no, that's what makes me special. I don't talk. I'm like, I know, but if you quit, then what? You know, like, there is nowhere else to go right now. There's no WCW. There's no ECW. It was like, I, I was always trying to talk him out of quitting, it seems like, but he... He brought me in with him, you know. Vince, uh, you know, Vince was like, Rob, uh, you know, I, you know, I just need Sabu. And I'm like, I know he wants me here to be comfortable. And uh, and all he, all he wanted him to say was like one or two words. He didn't have to say sentences. He just wanted him to say like, I'm a title, genocidal or whatever. And it, it would have been okay. And I, I think he did do it maybe. But I think Sabu was right, though. I think that before we heard him talk, there was so much more mystique and that made him so much different. And I'm not saying that I know more than Vince about selling tickets, you know, don't, don't take it that way. But, but just as far as uh, personally with Sabu, you know, that I I think, yeah, I think that uh, before he talked um, and definitely before he started uh, tweeting, he definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Things were definitely better before. You know, you know, you're talking about obviously Headstone the movie and stand-up comedy and stuff like that. Do you think that the wrestling 
industry and being in wrestling so long, do you think that made it easier to kind of transition to doing the stand-up comedy? Do you think that, you know, being, like you said, being able to talk and being able to be in front of the microphone, do you think that got you ready for doing the stand-up comedy, made it kind of very easy for you, easy transition? Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, I used to watch stand-up comedy before I was ever a wrestler, and I wanted to someday get up on stage. Maybe that was just me wanting to be a performer, you know, when I was a kid. But um, I thought that I would someday go up, like, on open mic night, because that was the only opportunity that I knew of back then. But by the time I finally did go up on stage, it was, like, 2006, maybe 2007. And so since I was already a superstar – um, of course, that made everything like much more easy. Everyone in the crowd already knew me. And a lot of times when I go on tour, um, you know, everyone's there to see me. It's basically like a Rob Van Dam show. So it's not like I have to meet everyone's expectations. Uh, it's more like they're there hanging on to my every word. And, um, and, and I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy um, using my intelligence. I enjoy writing the material. And I enjoy delivering it. You know, like I, I, I visual, just like a match, you know, like I come up with something. I visualize it, you know, I think how people react when I go out there and I see it through. It's very much uh, just like a match, but um, I'm, I'm usually like this, this calm when I'm on stage, maybe even a little bit calmer. Um, and, and, and that is cause I'm comfortable. There is, there is, I don't do it that often. Sometimes six months will go by sometimes even longer. And then I might do a show or two or three and then not do it again for a few months. So the first night I do it, there is a little pressure. Like I want to remember to say stuff that I want to say. And then afterwards there always is a bunch of stuff I forgot to say. And then I'm like, Oh, I wanted to try this one and say this one. And I wrote these new jokes I forgot to say, and that's always part of it, but it doesn't matter. Cause I'm just out there connecting. Everyone has fun. And then if I do it the next day, I'll say, Hey, I'm going to try and try and bring it, you know, talk about that crap that I didn't talk about tonight. So I, I enjoy that. And it's, it's not something um, that I'm looking to cross over and make a new career. Like a lot of, I really ain't not really trying to do anything. And that's something too, that I don't think a lot of people can understand. You know, they want to say, how's that comedy working? I know you're trying to, trying to, I'm not trying to do anything. I got bookings. I have booking offers all the time. I probably, John, I probably haven't looked for work. Um, I made one phone call, I think, to WWE when I went back there in 2013. Besides that call, I can't imagine the last time that I've looked for work. I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. It's like everybody, I I go through offers, and and some of them are worth it and and some aren't, and I'm always trying to do less. I like the idea of of retiring, and I probably will sometime soon, Um, but it's, it's not like I'm really, like, trying to do anything. I feel like life's very rewarding and then I'm getting paid for being me and just doing different things. People are happy to see RVD. And uh, if I want to do stand up, if I wanted to read from a book, you know, to a room full of adults, they'd probably buy tickets just hang out with me. Mm-hmm. I, a book. I wouldn't do that. I don't think I would. <laughs> it doesn't sound appealing, but um, there are other things that I like to do. And I like that I'm able to incorporate all of it and have, you know, at least some, uh, some, some following for it. Most of the fans, of course, want to see me wrestle, and that's that's they're they're always adamant about that on social media, regardless of what I'm. Hey, watch Headstrong on iTunes. Hey, return to WWE. That's gonna be the response. Mm-hmm. That. But but that's cool too. I mean, it's good to be wanted. 
Absolutely, and it's great to not have to look for work and people to want to. And you know, you can just be you, and people will show up and they, you know, in droves and want to see you either talk or meet you, get an autograph or picture. It is pretty cool being uh, Rob Van Dam. That that's for sure. But what do you think is kind of the biggest misconception about Rob Van Dam? Hmm. That's a good question. The biggest misconception, um, I guess. One thing that comes to mind is um, the whole marijuana thing. Um, I've always been, I've always been associated with marijuana, and I and I always will be. I've always believed in. I always knew of its um, potential. I knew way back, like in '98, when I started advocating that we were taught lies, that the government lies to you, the school lied to us, and that it really could help a lot of people. So. Um, the the flack that I get when I do get flack, a lot of times it's for it's for marijuana advocation, and I think the people that think that um, they're well, one, I, I think they're behind times because like we're learning as we weren't allowed to study marijuana because it was illegal. You couldn't grow it to study it; it was illegal. There's there's been a lawsuit um, against the institution of a national medicine in, in, in Massachusetts since like '91. It's been suing them to allow uh, government-grown marijuana to study. Now that's getting legalized as we're studying it, we're learning about so many properties that the marijuana plant has. And I knew a lot of them. Jack Herrer used to tell me there's 25,000 different uses for, for the hemp plant, and it could, it could replace like 80% of everything. That's what Jack Herrer used to tell me. Now we're learning you can separate the, uh, the psychoactive ingredients from some of the medicinal ones, and you can give medicinal ones, which are the cannabidiols, you give them to kids to have seizures and save them. Kids that go from having 300 seizures uh, in a week to having like three or four because of CBD, and there's people out there that want to prevent that. They don't want people to look at marijuana. And when I say people, I mean like parents that are behind times, um, people that stick to the old, the old mentality, you know, which was – just call him a pothead, and then nothing that he says is credible. Call him a pothead, and nothing that he says matters. Oh, he's a pothead. But the truth is, it's saving lives. I know for a fact that by advocating marijuana, I know for a fact that I've saved a lot more people than I've hurt. And so I won't apologize on that. I'd say the biggest misconception, though, is the people that just want to write that off and say, yeah. I had in Battle Creek, Michigan, the, the local paper was doing a huge story on Headstrong to promote it. And right when it was about to come out, um, it got yanked because of this headline that was on YouTube uh, several weeks ago that said Rob Van Dam claims that he was um, high 100% of the time that he wrestled. Because of that headline, the senior editor yanked the story. And and honestly, when I, when I look at that, I mean, one, marijuana is not even mentioned one time in the movie. Uh, it's totally not about that. But also, I'm not about that. I'm not about telling everybody they need to get high. It's not for everybody. I am about protecting the weed. I am about, um, you know, trying to stop people from getting arrested for stupid reasons, making, making a crime out of something that shouldn't be. I am about all that. But I've always said that kids shouldn't smoke. That's, I don't think kids should have sex. I don't think kids should run the country, drive cars. There's a lot of things that kids shouldn't do. And I'm always consistently saying that kids should not, um, should not 
um, straight from sobriety. Personally, I was 21 the first time I tried marijuana. And that headline, by the way, of course it was taken out of context. You know, anyone that reads that, it thinks that I was stoned like they're stoned when they're on the couch going, dude, I need (laughs) a bag of Doritos. I don't get like that. And that's the thing that you don't get to explain when someone grabs a headline. Uh, If it had said... If it had said RVD has been uh, medicated, you know, during probably close to 100% of his matches in ECW, that would have been uh, maybe more accurate. But even then, I go on to explain the difference that any drug has on any user. You know, people people go to their one experience and say, oh, nobody should smoke pot and drive. I smoked one time, and, oh, my God, I, I couldn't even, like, stand up. I, I couldn't tell what my name was. They don't know what they smoked. They don't know, you know, what else they had in their system. They have no idea, but they're gonna, they think that that's how everybody is when they smoke because of their one experience. Now, that's, that's probably the big, biggest misconception. Um, right now, with the CBDs actually being the, the number one um, – in the race, uh, you know, the number one proponent for protecting the brain right now, I'm never going to give that up, dude. Are you kidding me? The CBDs are, are the key. The NFL is looking at making a medicine so that football players can take this pill with CBDs before the game and then protect their brain uh, from impact while they're playing. That's the kind of stuff that the mentality I'm telling you about would prevent from happening. Absolutely. And my father kind of a couple of years ago kind of turned me on to CBD just because I always had a bad back, always had back issues, but I won't take any real, I don't even take aspirin. I won't take any medication, but the CBD is all natural. makes you feel better. It makes you feel good. It is much different than people realize it is. And it's actually much more helpful than people realize it is. Cause you don't want to get stuck, you know, on those opioids and stuff either. I mean, God forbid. Right. And that used to be, uh, they used to really be the common way to lose my friends, you know, was opioid um, overdoses. Like, and, and everyone knows there was a lot of media coverage on this several years ago because so many wrestlers have overdosed. And, and mm-hmm. so, many, yep. so many of them were my friends, you know. I mean, some of them, my close friends that would be staying at my house, you know, um, my, my, my brothers, and bam, they're not here anymore. Um, and, and I always figure it, it's choice, it's lifestyle. I always hate it when everyone goes after Vince McMahon and acts like, like it's his fault, like, sometimes, like somehow he did that. I never support those. Every time I've seen Vince uh, defend himself in an interview, I always agree with him completely because uh, he's smart and I'm smart. I understand what he's saying makes sense. You know, how is it his fault, you know, that some indie wrestler that, that, that may or may not have worked for him once or twice is out there doing drugs? I don't even understand how people uh, draw that conclusion. But it is all about choice. Um, and, you know, yeah, it is a safer choice. People make choices with what they know, you know, their information. And so we got to get the information out there so that people can make the right choices. And the truth is, um, weed is, um, is a very helpful plant, uh, the marijuana plant. I don't think kids should smoke. Um, if, if someone listening to this has issues with someone in their family, then okay. I mean, there, there's issues, you know, but, um, not everyone is, is like that. There's so many responsible, uh, marijuana users that, that are functional users that medicate all day and that have successful jobs and, and, you know, corporate jobs athletic jobs, whatever, and I understand there's going to be resistance. There's always resistance to change, but this is a positive change, and that's why I've always been on, on 
I don't know, not the bandwagon, but on the, on the fight, you know, for getting this information out there. And, uh, and, you know, there's, there's always, there's always people with addictive problems. Um, I don't even blame, I don't even blame the pharmaceutical companies for people that they can't, they can't handle not taking like 80, 30 milligram, um, you know, oxys a day. I mean, what do you expect is going to happen if you're taking that much? It's, um, I don't know. I, I feel like people should have a right to, to have safe and dangerous stuff out there and be able to make the right choice. And and then, you know, some people are going to fuck it up, but I, I don't really think that that necessarily uh, should mandate that, that the whole world is made a nerf. Absolutely. And as we head towards the finish line here, I just got to ask this because it, it's so interesting with you because obviously with Headstrong as well and kind of this concussion thing coming up and doing stand-up comedy, but also being a legendary wrestler who's had so many great matches and has done so much in the business. Like we said, WWE Grand Slam champion, ECW champion. I mean, you've done it all. What would you say, you know, at the end of the day, let's say you retire in a couple of years or maybe many years, what would you say is, is the lasting legacy of RVD in the wrestling business or even in, in general? Well, you know, I'm going to, ha- I get asked this a lot, so I'm going to have to look that word up and <laughs> legacy and look at exactly, <laughs> exactly what defines <laughs> that term. Um, I hope that people remember me as the wrestler in the ring that was, uh, you know, with the, whatever talents they remember me with my, I hope they remember me as an OG that I, you know, started and created a lot of stuff. I definitely, what was not a follower, but, you know, led my own path. And when it comes to uh, the me outside of the ring, um, I hope they find that I have consistent values, but also um, I would love for people to recognize me for being the honest and genuine person that I, that I am. Um, And people, I know people get uh, positive energy from me. Um, I love that. I want to put more to that. I think the more I'm alive, the more I realize we should all lift each other up. But um, one of the biggest compliments that I get that I like hearing is when people say, man, Rob, you can tell you're like a real genuine dude, you know, and it's true. I'm the most honest person I know. And I think that that would be a good thing to be remembered by, especially if someone is going to follow after me and take something from me, you want to take something from me. Uh, how about this? You want to know how to get a Katie Forbes? You think girls like their hearts broken? Yeah, I know uh, so many guys that have cheated on every single girl that they have, but then they they ask me, like, dude, how can I get a Katie Forbes? Bro, you ain't mad enough to handle a Katie Forbes. How about, <laughs> about you talking to someone that was married for 20 years, and I was completely faithful to her the whole time? And I didn't get it in return. And she hated me for at least the last 10 years. But I lived by my own values because I wanted to respect myself. I'd like for someone to know that about me. And if they're going to take after me to try to make their life better, I hope they would pick up some of this, being honest, being genuine with others and with yourself. That is great. And if you could, just one last pitch for Headstrong. Obviously, you can get it on iTunes, get it on Amazon. It's very easy to find it. Just type in Headstrong, Rob Van Dam. But please, give us one last big push for this documentary. Yeah, I would love it if everybody would see this movie. You know, uh, originally, I wanted everyone to see Headstrong because uh, we worked so hard on it. And, of course, we wanted it to be a success. Now, I want people to see it because 
well, it's going to answer a lot of questions that they might have um, about me, but also because now uh, it, it's, it helps so much people. Like I, uh, it, because if you read the reviews on iTunes and you see what people are saying about it, just the fact that it helps people dealing with their own situation, that, that gave me like a feeling like a new purpose. And I already have this platform, which I didn't even intend for it to be. Um, so headstrong, you're going to learn more about me than you ever, you know, thought you would. I, I take you into my private. It's very, it's very private to me. I mean, I'm not only taking you into my house, I'm showing you x-rays of my brain. It's like, uh, it's, it's as personal as it can be. And I, you know, I'd love to share that. I'd love for everyone to see it, but also I want everyone to watch it. I want us to keep the uh, concussion conversation open. A lot of people are trying to close it. It's a swear word around certain areas. Uh, and the truth is that we're still learning so much about it. I found out through having my concussion symptoms looked at that they really still don't know anything. It's still a very new experiment. Like they, they couldn't tell me, they couldn't tell me anything, how long it's going to last or if I'm always going to need therapy or this or that. They were all kind of like, mm, no, we think you're good. Like they, there was, it's still so new. And of course when I wrestled and was, and I still am wrestling, but when I was really beating my head up, um, I didn't know about all this. This is all new information since then. And moving forward, I would like this information to be used um, in a sensible way, just so we can be aware and do whatever we can to um, protect ourselves. But also, I want to increase um, the studies on it so that my friends, uh, other wrestlers, football players, soccer players, whoever, and including myself, so that I don't go down the same road and decide that I want to go out in a murderous, suicidal rampage. I, I don't think that's possible right now. But then when I look at my friends uh, and what they're doing, it kind of has to, there's, there's room for concern. So I want, I want you to, see what, to watch Headstrong so you can see what I'm talking about and hit me, up, uh, hit me up at The Real RVD and let me know what you thought about it. Awesome stuff. I really highly, highly recommend this. I love wrestling documentaries, and this is a great one. You get a great glimpse not only into wrestling but stand-up comedy, and then obviously it takes a little bit of a turn into the concussion talk, which is very great because you really get into your personal life, which I thought was really, really cool that you opened yourself up and were very vulnerable in that film. So awesome stuff. I couldn't recommend it anymore. Great stuff. And as always, R.D., thank you so much for giving us all the time that you did today. Cool. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.